Well, if you will, take your Bibles out and turn over to Zechariah chapter 4. We're continuing our journey through this great book of Zechariah. And, and if you've noticed something about how this book is unfolding before us, now that we're coming to the fifth vision of Zechariah, we, we are really in the midst of a sleepless night for the prophet. I don't know if you are aware of that, this These many visions are occurring in one evening for the prophet Zechariah. He's been called by God to be the mouthpiece of the Almighty before the people who have grown weary in their labors to rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And the prophet has much work to do. And yet, in the midst of this sleepless night, the Lord continues to reveal to him vision after vision after vision to uplift his soul, to give him a message of of comfort, assurance, of diligence in the labors of God's people there as they continue to rebuild the great city and the temple that visualizes God dwelling in the midst of his people. And so as we approach uh, chapter 4, verse 1, we have this dialogue again between Zechariah and the angel. And we have this blunt conversation that is, that is happening between the angel of the Lord and Zechariah, his prophet. And he is, again, what he will say, he is like an awakened man. And if you notice something about that language, it's a simile. It's this, this kind of half-conscious, fuzzy, sleepless state that the angel brings him forth up again and begins to show him this vision of a a golden lampstand. And so entrusting our time uh, in God's Word to God Himself, as He gives us understanding by His Spirit, let us read all 14 verses of this great vision that should breathe into our spiritual lungs great hope and encouragement for the Christian life. Verse 1. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace. Grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which reign, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And the second time I answered and said to him, 
What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Well, as we uh, come to uh, this chapter of this vision of the lampstand and the two olive trees that stand to the right and the left of the lampstand and the, the two golden pipes that pump in golden oil to this lampstand, there's three things I think that we need to notice as we journey through these 14 verses. And the first one is, I think we need to see the, the glories of the people of God. The glories of the people of God. As the angel approaches Zechariah for this fifth vision in the midst of the night here, uh, it, the angel wakes Zechariah up and he begins immediately to have this conversation between this sleepy prophet to maybe keep him fully awake or fully alert. You know, something of that scene, I think, when you have a sleepless night and you are struggling to stay awake, what is the first thing that you begin to do? Well, at least for me, I begin to talk. If I'm talking, I'm awake. If I'm not talking after a sleepless night, it might be that I dozed off. And so as I'm talking, as I'm conversating, I can remember, I can keep my mind on track to maybe forget about my sleepiness or my sleeplessness and to stay focused upon the business at hand. And that seems to be something of the scene that happens here between the angel and, and Zechariah. He begins to engage with him in this rather you know, blunt dialogue. I think that we actually see some, some hard rebuke, maybe we might say, from the angel in this vision with Zechariah. Zechariah should know some of the things or maybe what some of these things are symbolizing. But, but there's this interaction between the angel and Zechariah that, that describes for us what is happening within this vision of this golden lampstand. You notice there in verse 2, the angel wants Zechariah to simply recount for him what he sees. And you know that I love the word behold within the scriptures. It's a, you know, rightly so with the, the sleepless prophet. It's waking him up to show him this lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And so what we are to see here is a lampstand with, with seven candelabras, we might say, that are coming forth. And on top of each of those seven candelabras, we have seven more lights that are burning upon the lips of those main bowls. And so what we have here are these 49 flames that are shining brightly that Zechariah sees. And of course, as Zechariah is recounting for the angel what he is seeing in this vision, he says, beside this grand lamp, this glorious lamp, these two olive trees are, are feeding this lamp with a constant supply of oil. And it's not until the very last bit of this vision in which 
we actually understand what these two olive trees pumping this golden oil into the lamp is supposed to symbolize. But if you really sit back and think of minute of the, of the glorious vision in which Zechariah is seeing here in the midst of this fifth vision in this sleepless night, there's something that is quite captivating about the picture. Not only is a flame captivating in and of itself, men know something of that, especially young boys. I'm the first to admit, you can ask my dad who is here, I love striking matches just to watch them burn. I love striking a lighter just to see the flame. I love camping out with the Boy Scouts and I especially love the campfire. And that's something that is just wired within us. The flame captivates us. And you think about these 49 brightly shining flames that are before Zechariah and then the the mystery of these olive trees and the, the golden oil and these golden pipes leading from the olive trees to this lamp and this lamp that burns and it, and it burns forever it seems to Zechariah and it's captivating but also mysterious at the same time. And I've spoke about this before. I, I, think, it's, I think it's actually quite encouraging for us to see the, the prophet of the Lord struggling with what he sees. It reminds us not only is Zechariah a mere man, he's being used powerfully by God, but he is a a mere man. But oftentimes when we're coming to the Scriptures and we look at something like Zechariah 4 and we have this grand vision that's coming before us, we begin to struggle just like Zechariah does. What does all this mean? And, And so it pushes us to understand that, that without the power of the Spirit, right? Without the power of the Spirit, we cannot understand the things of God. But you see that Zechariah, as he doesn't understand what's happening, he doesn't say, all right, I don't understand, I'm going back to sleep. He, he doesn't say, I'm going to ask this angel one time, and if he doesn't answer me the first time, I'm going to go back to sleep. No, he continues to persist. What do these things mean? What do these things mean? What do these things mean? He, he pushes into the angel who he knows can give him the answer. And so it is with a prayer of an illumination. Have you ever thought about why we pray that the Lord might open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts? Have you ever been reading something about how to study the Bible well and it always starts with, well, you need to pray before you read? It's always because there's going to be things here that by human understanding we cannot perceive correctly. And yet as we persist asking the Father in Heaven to reveal Himself and His Son through His Word, He will do so because He's promised just that very thing. That by His Spirit He will show us the things that pertain to the holy doctrine in which we believe. He will show us the things that we ought to see for faith and practice. And so Zechariah presses into this angel for an explanation. And as Zechariah presses into the angel for an explanation, you see this mild rebuke, don't you? As he tells him, I I see this lamp, I see 
these 49 lights. I, I, I see the trees. I see the golden oil. But what are these to mean? It's there in verse 4. And I said to the angel who taught with me, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel who taught with me answered and says, Do you not know what these are? Do you not know what these mean? Do you not know what you're seeing? The angel says, Because, because immediately, Zechariah, as a good Old Testament believer, his mind should be racing to where he's seen things like this before. And of course, it's been in the temple of God. There, when the tabernacle is built and moved alongside the people as they travel, sojourn to the promised land, there's candelabras there found in the holiest of holy places. As, as Solomon builds the temple, there are seven golden lampstands that are installed within the temple. And the angel... He, he gives this mild rebuke because Zechariah's mind should go to these things. You, you know what a lampstand is. And you even know what a lampstand with seven candelabras are. But as Zechariah persists, I do not know what these mean, my Lord. Zechariah finds that the angel graciously gives him the answer. You know, one of the things that that, it, that is often the case in, in parenting, maybe, is that if, if, if one of the kids asks me a question that they should know the answer to, my immediate response is, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. But that is not the graciousness of our God as He is revealing to Zechariah what He's seeing by this angel, the messenger of the Lord to the prophet of the Lord. These, these lampstands as proclaimed to us in texts like Isaiah 42.6, in Matthew chapter 5, in Revelation chapter 1, these, these, these lampstands are a representation of, of God's covenant community, His church, the people of God. You remember when, when John sees the, the heavens open in Revelation chapter 1, he sees the seven lampstands, which are the representation of those seven churches that have received the letters from the angels in Revelations. And, and, and you see these, these, these seven lampstands representing those seven churches, and there in the midst of it is Jesus Christ Himself. And, and the angel is telling Zechariah, well, these lampstands that you see, these 49 flames of fire, it's a representation of, of God's church. It's a representation of, of God's people. And, and so when, when Zechariah sees this glorious lampstand, and as, as he's mildly rebuked by this angel, and as, as the angel gives him understanding of what he's seeing, this, this vision, he's saying, you should know something about these lampstands. But at the same time, you should be overwhelmed by the glories of this lampstand that you're seeing. Because you should have, have in your mind these kind of maybe pitiful candelabras that existed in the temple, but now you see the, the 49 flames of fire, the, the golden oil that, that, that drips into the lamps and the, the lamps that never burn out. And of course, it's this picture, isn't it, that Zechariah is, 
is ministering to a community, to a, a people who, who are a tiny remnant of what they were in the past. You know, Jerusalem was the, the capital of a, a grand kingdom. The temple that Solomon built was a, a grand temple. And yet now, as they return home to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple, even the foundation in which they build is far less impressive than what they enjoyed before. They are a poor, embattled people. They are a beleaguered minority within the empire of King Darius. And, and surely they thought... And maybe this is surely the thought of Zechariah. If the Lord is revealing to us another lampstand, this lampstand, like all the other lampstands, are surely going to burn out. Because that's what the city looks like. A burned out candlestick. It's a ruined shell of itself. But Zechariah's vision is, is designed to show us that as God's people... In human estimation, it might seem pitiful. It might seem beleaguered. It might seem burnt out. The city might appear destroyed. The people destitute and despised by the nations that surround them. But, but this everlasting, this everlasting eternal burning lampstand is a, it's a picture of the church of God that cannot be extinguished. They cannot quit shining. They cannot quit displaying the light of Christ. That's Jesus' whole point in Matthew chapter 5, isn't it? That you are a light upon the hill that, that casts out light to a lost and dying world and the lampstand here shall not be distinguished. It shall not be extinguished. It's, it, as we see that the angel explaining to Zechariah what all this is, he understands first that, that it's a representation of the church of Christ, but you notice something after the second time he asked. After the second time he asked, what is going on with, with all of this? He says, the seven, these seven in, in verse, the end of verse 10, these seven are the, the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. We have here the, the center golden lampstand that, that represents the church as it does in Revelation, but the, the small fires upon each of the lips of the seven lampstands, it's, it's, the, it's the eyes of the Lord showing us the very presence of the Almighty God. You see, that's what makes this, this lampstand all the more glorious. Much more glorious than the the candelabras that, that were fashioned in the temple in the days of Solomon. Surely better than the, the candelabras that fashioned the tabernacle in the days of, of Moses. Here it is that, that this, eternal, this eternal burning candlestick, this, this lampstand, it's a, it represents as, as what is Barry Webb one of the commentators that I was reading actually says, it says, it represents a community that shines a light with the presence of the all-seeking, all-knowing God who dwells in their midst. That's the, that's the golden lampstand in which Zechariah sees. 
The reason why it's so glorious is not because of the shiny gold and not because of the golden oil and not because of the, the olive trees that are surely in bloom. But it's because the all-seeing and all-knowing God is there in the midst of, in the midst of them. You think, back to the, you think back to the angel of the Lord in the midst of the myrtle trees that we handled just a few weeks ago. You think about Revelation chapter 1 and Jesus moving about the seven lampstands representing the seven churches that John sees. What is their, what is their fixed point? Well, it's the Lord God Almighty Himself. And, and, and that is exactly what Zechariah is captivated by. He, he understands there's a mystery to all these moving parts that he's seeing, but his eyes are so captivated to the burning fire, which is the Lord Himself adorning the tops of the lampstands. And so the lampstands there represents the church of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ there in the midst of them. But then we are secondly called to see, we're called to see these, these two olive trees just, just briefly letting our eyes fall upon the olive trees because it's these olive trees that are, that are, that are pouring into this lampstand the oil that allows the lampstand to keep burning and so, Zechariah asks the question, what are these two olive trees? What, what does all of this mean? And, and verse 14, right as the vision closes, gives us the answer. It says, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The, these two olive trees are what support and sustain the lampstands. And to understand what the olive trees are representing, we, we, must, we must see all of the visions of this sleepless night in a whole. I was just speaking of the principle that Scripture interprets Scripture and officer training before this service. And so we take what might be obscure and hard to understand and let the light of Scripture help us interpret what's happening here with these two olive trees. And so you take the context of of the one sleepless night with all of these eight visions. And, and let me just tell you what all of these eight visions very simply are about. The first and the last parallel one another. And it deals with God's judgment upon the world. Upon the nations who are not His. The second, the third, the sixth, and the seventh continuing to work into the middle deal with God's people and how He promises to, to bless them and to be present with them and to restore their fortunes. And then right here in the center, the fourth vision that Pastor Don handled last week with the high priest Joshua and this fifth vision tonight, God has a word through two individuals. Last week, of course, it was Joshua the high priest that God anointed to serve in in his role as a spiritual leader of community. That was chapter 3. And now we have this obscure name to us, Zerubbabel, the grandson of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, heir to the throne of David. That's who we have here in chapter 4. We, we learn more about him and, 
In Ezra, as we have the historic story of the rebuilding of the temple that that comes alongside of Haggai and, and Zechariah, and it seems as if it seems as if what what we're seeing here is this priest and this king standing on both sides of the lampstand, showing the historical value, the the historical sustaining mercies of God to the people of Zechariah's day. He gives them a priest, Joshua, who will make atonement for their sins there at the altar. And he gives them Zerubbabel, the king, who will watch over them and, and rule them. And Zerubbabel is just not any old king, but he is David's heir. He is a, a kingly figure that stands governing over the nation amidst all their trials, defending them from their enemies. And these two men, God has called, commissioned, anointed for the welfare of His flock. Historically, they have much value, but, but beyond the history, we know that they're just figures, types, that point us to a deeper significance. We're told that in chapter 3, verse 9, if you... Just look up with me. And in the text that we handled last week, it speaks of Joshua and it says, For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its description, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And Pastor Don told you that that comes at the judgment of Christ where we are atoned for. Our sins are washed away at the moment that Christ shed His blood for the remission of of sins. And so just as we saw last week in Joshua the high priest pushes us to a greater priest, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself here in chapter 4, Zerubbabel, the, the heir of David, the king, pushes us to great David's greater son, The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the greatest King. You know, all throughout the Scriptures we have this this idea that Jesus is the great High Priest over the house of God. Hebrews 10, 21. Where Jesus Christ is the one who opens for us a, a, a living way, a new way, through the curtain, through the veil that was torn as He laid down His body on the cross so that we might commune with the Almighty God and call Him our Father. Revelation 1.5 says that great David's greater Son, the Son of David, the Lord Jesus, is the ruler of the kings on the earth who loves us and has freed us by His blood. Our catechisms remind us that as our priest, Jesus Christ enacts His office of Redeemer. And as our King, Jesus accomplishes our our salvation as our Redeemer. And so in the end, it's Jesus who is supplying, supplying the church. And what does the oil represent? Well, oil throughout the Old Testament, of course, represented the Holy Spirit. And so it's the Lord Jesus Christ executing His offices of our Redeemer. He pours in His Holy Spirit into the church so that we might gloriously shine forth to a lost and dying world. The reason why 
the lampstand is, is so beautiful. It's because the Lord Himself is in the midst of her. And beloved, each and every time we gather as a church, especially on the Lord's Day, by His Spirit, He is in the midst of us. He communes with us. He calls us up into the heavenly places so that we might join the angelic courts in our worship so that we might be beautiful in His sight, glorious in His sight, and that we might rest upon the Spirit of God which gives us the strength. Which gives us the strength. And so when we come to, when we come to this middle section of this vision where Zerubbabel is, is laying the last stone and and as this historical context that will be soon completed in its history, you see that the people, as, as we look at verse 7, when the, when the people see the king putting the top stone amongst the wall, amongst the city, what are the shouts? It's grace. Grace to it. And, and, and by God's grace, By God's grace, He has given us the Spirit so that we might not despise the day of of small things, but that we might rejoice in the One who gives us the strength. You know, what we need to understand, I think, is that that the lampstand is is pushing us to see a a, a church whose foundation is the Lord's. a, a, A church that burns forever. It's a picture of of glory, of course. It's a picture of of Christ's bride being pure and blameless. It's a a picture of of communion with our Lord and Savior Jesus in heaven. And, And we need to know that it's by grace in which the Lord is building for us a place for us to dwell with Him. The Lord is building for us a temple that He might dwell with us and he's doing it by his word and he's doing it by his spirit and who is the word well the word is the lord jesus christ the very word in flesh and the spirit is the spirit of god's son jesus christ who has been sent so that we might be living stones living stones so that the church might be built upon the chief cornerstone which is jesus himself and so, you know, as we, as we think about these days of small things, we, we kind of picture what Ezra speaks about in Ezra chapter 3, where the people of God, these older saints, they've, they've, they've come home from Babylon and they cry because the city's in ruins. And they begin to think, well, boy, wasn't the temple beautiful? Wasn't the city wall? Wasn't it... Didn't it seem indestructible? What about, the, what about those lampstands that adorn the temple? And, and what Zechariah's vision is telling us here is, is that through Christ, as He gives the church His Spirit, the best is yet to come. The best for the church is, is yet to come because one day it won't be earthly candelabras and lampstands. One day it won't be the Spirit of God in our midst as we, as we imperfectly worship Him at First Presbyterian Church in this sanctuary. One day it will be just like John sees in Revelation 21. 
Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And it came from God and it was prepared for the bride adorned for her husband. And the voice will say, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man and He will dwell with them and they will be His people forever. You see, as the, as the people of God historically came into Jerusalem and they, they lamented the day of small things. We should not lament the day of small things. We should know that, that the Lord is doing far more than what we can ask or think. The Lord is doing far more than we can imagine. And, and, and while it might seem like the church is losing on this side of heaven, while we might lament what the church is up to even now, it, it seems as if the church as a whole has gone wayward. It seems as if the church as a whole is being destroyed. It seems as if the devil is winning. You can hear Zechariah as he tells this vision to the people of God there in Jerusalem. Don't worry. The best is yet to come. We might build this wall. We might build this temple, but it's going to pale in comparison to what, to what the Lord is going to build for us as He finishes His work. You know, oftentimes you can, you can hear older saints talk about the good old days. The good old days. Well, the good old days are not behind us, beloved. The good days are in front of us. And the Lord Jesus tells us that until that day comes, we are to believe, we are to press on, we are to trust, we are not to grow weary in doing good, for our reward is soon approaching. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to uh, your word, and we thank you that you dwell in the midst of your people, in the midst of your church, through Christ, by his Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would be ever with us, that we would uh, long for the day in which we uh, have, our, have our eternal reward consummated before us. And may we, be, may we be faithful pilgrims until that day. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well.